Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, I hope you had a happy Easter. We're recording on March 28th, on Monday. Uh, how you doing over there? I'm doing really well. It was a nice, nice Easter, um, and uh, it's kind of nice. Right now, a lot of people are out of the office for uh, adults with kids are on spring break, so work hasn't been too bad either, so that's kind of nice. Nice. Yeah, we were trying to get this podcast out a little while ago. We haven't put one out since just after signing day, and we wanted to wrap the basketball season. We were going to bring on uh, Mike McDaniel, and in fact, we did record a podcast with Mike, but unfortunately, due to some technical issues, the it was kind of unusable, and for the first time, we happened to lose quote unquote, the podcast. And, uh, it was a shame, but we'll probably refer to some of the stuff Mike mentioned as we go through the basketball stuff and wrap the season a little bit, but it was a bummer because Mike did prepare and we do thank him for coming on. But unfortunately we couldn't, we couldn't salvage the audio. It was pretty brutal. I think there was, uh, <laughs> some, some, a state of depression on both our ends as, uh, some F bombs. <laughs> yeah. We've never lost a full pod, but I think we made the right choice in not putting it out there. We always want the quality to be good. So, uh, I think it was the right move. Absolutely. So why don't you start us, uh, up here with your, your cheers. I'll give uh cheers this time around as we wrap the basketball season, I think to Buzz Williams and and the team, obviously, but I think where we ended up uh, in the full year and making the NIT just kind of, you know, in the whole, I think we far overachieved expectations. And I don't mean that just because we were picked. I think to finish fourteenth at a fifteen uh, by a lot of people early in the season. I think just even the, the hardcore fans um, would would agree that we ended up exceeding expectations. So I think the cheers would be to Buzz in year year two and how well he's done. And, you know, it looks like we'll be getting him, you know, back next year, which there was some concern about that. So hat tip to uh, to the team and, and to Buzz Williams. Yep. Cheers to Buzz and to the basketball team. Cheers. Okay, we're off and running. So let's get into some of our news and notes because there's a lot of things that have been happening with both teams, football and basketball. And I want to start with a little bit of our own news in that we have an official website. It's 2DVT.com, and Robbie did a bunch of the work getting that put together. And I appreciate you doing that. It looks great. You should go and check it out. You can see all of our beers that we drank all of our episodes are on there you can stream them and we have a little bit about us and our picks from last year which you painfully entered um i can't believe you went through all of them but i appreciate you doing it <laughs> yeah i went back through every episode and uh i also had to code that in because uh, i copped out and i used squarespace to build it which is really nice because you can get a website up and running very quickly however uh it's not that flexible so i ended up having to code in uh all of those picks into the tables you see um and the other nice part is everything's linked so if you click on a beer it'll show you what episode we drank it on if you want to look at who guest was and you can kind of click on the episode or the person that was on as a guest and it'll show what episode it is. So uh, it's kind of interactive. You can you can look through all the episodes pretty, uh, pretty handily. Yeah, it's it's a real nice looking website. It's simple, but it'll get the job done. And for people who don't have iPhones, I, I've heard just sometimes they have a hard time finding ways to listen to the podcast. And you can always listen to it now at 2 
Second portion of news is we rounded out the coaching staff with the hiring of Brian Mitchell from WVU. Uh, he's going to coach the CBs and plays a Torian Gray, and that's a little bit of old news, but we haven't done a pod since he was hired. So that was the last coach we t- on the staff, and since he'll be doing the cornerbacks, Galen Scott is going to coach the safeties and the whips with the assistance of Cody Grimm, which I thought was pretty cool. I didn't know Cody Grimm was going to be coaching for us or had been, but he was the last awesome whip we really had. So it's good to have him back in the fold. Absolutely. And, you know, Brian Mitchell is supposed to be a pretty nice uh, recruiter as well. So that was, uh, you know, replacing Torian Gray at that uh, coaching position. We needed to backfill some recruiting capability. So I think that was a, a nice pickup despite his WVU and ECU background. Absolutely. It's always nice to steal someone from WVU as well, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Hokies also had their pro day, uh, I guess about two weeks ago. Uh, Kendall and Luther, Maddie did not uh, participate, but Daddy and Ryan Malik, the other two guys who are expected to get drafted, did. They had decent days. Uh, Daddy was bulked up a little bit. He was about two thirty nine, two forty, and still ran a four point seven yard, four point seven second forty yard dash, and had a thirty eight inch vertical despite the added weight, which I thought was pretty impressive. And I think Malik put up uh, 4.76, I have written down in 40, which is good speed for a tight end. And I'm hoping that um, all four of those guys will go in the top in those first, you know, five rounds. Hopefully we'll see. Yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be nice. And um, I think, you know, you know, daddy would have jumped out of the gym had he kept his weight weight down. So that's pretty impressive, that, that type of vertical. Certainly. We have a little bit of bad news. Uh, Dion Newsom was arrested for DUI after being found passed out on a cart in the local Walmart in Christiansburg. <laughs> and <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing because DUI is definitely not funny, but he wasn't arrested for like driving the cart around the store for the DUI. Like he had apparently admitted to driving over there, and that's what they got him for DUI on, but then. It was dropped to reckless because they couldn't prove that he actually drove over there, how drunk he was when he drove over there. Uh, so he won't he, – uh, he wasn't ultimately convicted of DUI. It was dropped to reckless driving. He got a fine, some probably some community service. But the 60-day jail sentence will be suspended indefinitely. He won't serve any jail time. Um, that sounds, it sounds just, like a is, college story time for one of us. It so. really does. It really does. I mean – I feel like it could happen to either one of us, you know, being found passed out in a in a local Blacksburg store of any kind. But uh it's DUI is definitely not funny, but being found passed out in a Walmart kind of is. Don't drink so and drive. We'll just we'll go with that. <laughs> Don't drink and drive, exactly. Uh number five is kind of a fun thing. I have uh Fuente was on the solid verbal. That's one of our favorite podcasts that we listen to. And I thought it was awesome that he took the time to do an interview with them. They've been interviewing a bunch of coaches, including Bronco Mendenhall of UVA, in the offseason. And I couldn't tell you I've heard a better interview with Fuente. It was really good. And the, my biggest takeaway from it, and you can comment if you had one, was that it seems like he'll be staying in Blacksburg for a while. The way he described ha- that he was happy at Memphis and wasn't really looking to leave, but this opportunity was just too big to pass up. It just sounds like with his kids getting settled that he's not planning on going anywhere for a long time. This is not like a stepping stone to a, a USC or a Texas or something. I agree. That that was a key takeaway for me as well. I think the other point that I got, I, I love the interview, but I keep walking away from all this stuff 
still not having a full appreciation, and maybe it's because it's just so early still, what the heck we're going to be doing on offense, right? He, all he keeps saying is, you know, you got to fit your system to the capabilities of the players. You don't, you can't do it the kind of the opposite way where you got to just force players into your system. So I still have no clue what this offense is going to look like when he gets in there and, and gets installing. Yeah, the only the only indication is that we're going to be you know playing with a little bit more tempo. But what does that even mean? And he also said in that interview that he won't ha- hang his defense out to dry at the same time. So it, he's really not showing any of his cards right now. Uh, and with the news that the spring game won't be televised, I don't know if that was a coach's decision or an ESPN decision or what, but. That's just more of an indication that they're not going to show anything before the season gets started. I was really pissed off after hearing that. I got a wedding uh, that day, so in Pennsylvania, I think, and so I wasn't going to be able to go. I was planning on it, and then I found out that we had this wedding that we had to head to. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to get to see that. So I, I don't know. Hopefully, I can get some nice feedback, or somebody can get. Uh, some shots with their their cell phone uh, and post it somewhere because I have no I'm not going to be able to see anything until you know call it the fall. I'm hoping to go still. Um, it's the question is finding someone to go with because we were initially kind of planning to go together, but I may have some friends that are heading down. But at this point, like if you want to see it, you got to go. So it's more of uh, incentive to go to the game. Um, I don't know. I'll figure it out. But it's coming up in a few weeks, April 23rd. And uh, we should have some recruits on campus. And that will bring me to my next point, which is uh, we got three commitments over the last week for the 2017 class. Uh, we got a QB, Hendon Hooker, and two linebackers, Andre Kearney and Richard Ashby. All of them are three stars. The QB, Hooker, was uh, he's a high-end three and a four on scout.com. And that brings us to five total commits for 2017. And before the spring game, that's – a pretty fast start for us i would say uh you always have to be leery with the early commits because they tend to flip sometimes but we'll see if anything else it's nice to get guys committing to the program hooker is supposed to be a just a a stud and you know he had offers from nc state and clemson and a lot of schools so i think um you know i'm excited about that you know Fuente is kind of known as a quarterback whisperer. Uh, I think his track record with quarterbacks is, you know, kind of speaks for itself. And I think that's starting to pay dividends for us, which is nice. Flipping over to some basketball stuff, I thought we have to mention the epic collapse that UVA showed last night uh, on their way to what looked like a sure Final Four. And Syracuse came back in the end of the game and uh, put our our rivals you know, out of the tournament. And I, I couldn't have been happier last night. I know you were watching. What were your thoughts? I was watching one of my UVA buddies and uh, a Georgetown buddy. And I was just, I was floored. I could just see the blood drain out of his face as things just kept falling further and further away from uh, UVA, you know, who had that game. You know, for all you know, intents and purposes, it was locked up. I mean, you would never imagine. It really that. was with the way that they play defense and the way that they can slow the game down. You never would have thought that 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 was going to happen to to UVA, almost above you know many other teams in the tournament. Yeah, with how good a defense they typically play, um, and the way they were getting buckets, which seemed so easy. I couldn't believe that Syracuse was able to come back, but I'm glad they did because now we don't have to hear about. 
you know, getting to a Final Four is almost like winning a national title in basketball. It's such a big deal for your program. And uh, with them already winning the baseball title last year and dominating all the other Olympic sports, it's nice to have them not showing up in one of the two major sports, uh, you know, being football and basketball. But staying on basketball, I wanted to mention that Buzz was on TBS both Thursday and Friday for the regional semifinals, uh, helping with the March Madness coverage. It was pretty cool seeing him on there. I made a point to watch, especially on uh, on Friday, and he had his VT pin on both days. Uh, it's nice to get our coach out there, getting exposed, like having a national audience see him and having Barkley joke on him, like, why don't you go recruit some players so we can watch you in the tournament and not announcing, you know, with us. And Buzz responded, you know, with a funny thing. It was like, well, I'm heading out on a plane right after this to find the next Charles Barkley. <laughs> uh, it was it was just kind of a funny exchange right at the beginning of the telecast. Uh, and he his analysis was good. It was cool to hear Buzz, like, not talking only in inspirational quotes and, like, talking about X's and O's about basketball, which if you follow me on Twitter, you know I have a little bit of beef with some of that culture over talent, uh, inspirational stuff. But whatever Buzz is doing is working, so I'm happy. And he had that sweet maroon jacket going, which was yeah. awesome. <laughs> Not many people can pull that look off. That is extremely difficult, but he, he wore it, and it, it worked. Okay, so let's talk about the basketball team first, and then we'll get to some of the spring football updates. Uh we finished the season with a 20 and 15 record and 10 and 8 in the ACC which pretty much no one saw coming even if you predicted the Hokies to do improve upon last year which was two ACC wins same as the year prior no one could have predicted the 10 and 8 ACC record and some of the highlights of the year were our two wins over top 10 teams UVA earlier on who was number 4 and then Miami at the very end of the season who was number 7 we finished the season with five straight victories, and we made the postseason playing in the NIT for the first time since Greenberg's second to last year, I believe. Uh, we played Princeton in the first round and won a really gutsy OT game where uh, Jalen Hudson and Zach Liday just carried the team. Both scored 28 and 29 points, respectively, and pretty much no one else showed up. But then we fell to BYU and Provo, and... I was just happy the way the guys played at BYU because it was two days after that overtime game in a, in a high altitude in one of the biggest arenas in college basketball, um, and they damn near won it. They really did. We were I was at a bachelor party that weekend uh, with like 10 other tech guys, and we had uh, one of the bars put the game on, and all these people kept coming up. It's like, who's watching the NIT at this bar? And we're like, all 10 <laughs> of us are like, we're watching it. We all went to VT. And until that turnover at the end of the game, which BYU got a run out on, and then it basically put it out of reach, and then Blackshear missed some free throws and whatever else. But we were really coming back, and we actually outscored them in the second half, but ultimately lost. Uh, I was proud of the way the team finished the season. Uh, I don't think anyone could be anything other than that. I don't know if you had any thoughts as to why the team improved, but I was going to ask you first, and then I'll give you mine. You know, in my mind, I think the obvious uh, is Lede. Um He killed it down the stretch. Um, so I think that's probably 
um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me, the team was meshing, you know, pretty well, especially down the stretch uh, before the NIT. Uh, they were on a roll right up into that uh, loss to Miami. Um, I think they had, what, six straight uh, at that point, um, yep. which was, you know, pretty incredible. I think Justin Robinson was, in my mind, a real kind of game changer. Uh, you know, in those last, uh, last run, he had, what, 15 against Miami, 18 against FSU. He had 15 against Wake Forest, uh, 13 at the time we played FSU again. Uh, I feel like with him at point, which took a while to happen uh, for him to get the head nod to, you know, be starting every game. I think I think he really impacted the game. Obviously, Lede's stats speak for themselves, but I think Justin Robinson was a, was pretty key as well. Absolutely. That was my number one uh thing that what changed down the stretch was his emergence he shot 50 percent from three while we were on that winning streak and you like you said he became the starter some other things i thought were really important were uh justin bibbs and seth allen who had been in a bit of a shooting slump both improved their three points shooting while we were on that streak uh and chris clark had returned just before that streak started and his defense and rebounding really made a difference he's a a perfect example of a glue guy. If you talk about like, you know, NBA teams are always looking for their glue guy that can like help them out. Like for the Warriors, it's, it was Andre Iguodala when they got him and then Draymond Green emerged. Those two guys just, they do do it in all aspects of the game. And I feel like Clark is that kind of player. And then just like you said before too, the chemistry overall, it's a young team and they just started to get more comfortable with each other. And all those things combined just led to that great run at the end of the season that got us over 500 in ACC play, got us the NIT bid, and just gave this young team a lot of confidence going into next year. Yeah, I think I, next year is going to be, you know, we talked about it, the young team. You get, barring, you know, a transfer or something strange, should get everybody back, right? And on top of that, you get Ahmed Hill, anti-outlaw, uh, hopefully back as well. So, and then Clark, you know, after he kind of played towards the uh, the end, he's so fast. It's actually impressive given his size. That's what I always been kind of impressed with. He doesn't look like he would be that quick, but he can move around real quick. Um, so I thought next year obviously raised expectations for better or for worse. I think Hokie fans may be looking um, yeah, ho- hopefully we can, you know, continue to improve on, but that's a great record to end up the season with. Definitely. I, uh, I know what you're saying about Clark. He, he is very quick. And whenever I see him too, he, he is broader and bigger than he just looks like the biggest guy on the court. He's not the tallest, but he's just like the biggest kid out there. It seems like. So next year, if you're talking lineup, I mean, it, we said that Justin Robinson basically sees the starting point guard job and Clark's going to be your three. At two, you have options in terms of Jalen Hudson, who's extremely athletic. Bibbs, who's a little bit better of a shooter and might be a better six-man. At power forward, it's going to be Lede. And at center, it's going to be Blackshear, who I thought, as a freshman, played admirably. And unfortunately, he missed those free throws in the end of the BYU game, which might have kept us in it a little bit longer. But he had a great season for a freshman. He really did. So with a starting five of Robinson, Hudson, Clark, Lede, and Blackshear, that's potent. You have some good guys who can D up as well. Very athletic. That's a very athletic lineup. As far as the reserves go, I mentioned Seth Allen. And in a way, even though he makes a lot of mistakes, turns the ball over, sometimes gets in his own head, 
and isn't a great shooter. <laughs> he kind of was the driving force behind this team in a weird way. Like he he plays with so much heart, and so does Lede. And those two guys really led this team. Um, being the older transfer guys, that does make sense. And I was impressed with how Seth Allen finished the season. Um, he was even though I kind of ripped on his shooting for a while. Yeah. And he draws, I mean, he gets to the line so much. It's incredible. He drives so hard, and he's looking for contact. And, you know, and he can still he can still make it. He's not just taking contact and just trying to get to the line. He's still trying to make it, you know, get a three points out of it. So um, it's pretty impressive uh, how, how much he gets to the line and how beneficial that is for us, especially when you get towards, if we're down towards the end of a game, um, you know, he came in, you know, in a lot of situations and, and really helped us out. I agree. And that was a huge thing about Buzz's game plan all year was that driving uh, and penetration offense and getting to the line and using that as a weapon for us. And and Seth and uh, Justin Robinson and uh, Hudson were all good guys with, with respect to that, that design. I mean, they were all able to get to the line. Hokies finished, I think, top 10 in free throw attempts in the nation. Uh, the one thing for next year going forward I think that would really benefit us is another guy besides Bibbs emerging as a, I don't know, not not a surefire three-point shooter, but just someone who can get it in the basket from three at a 40% or better. And Robinson started to show that. Uh, at times, Jalen Hudson, we know how hot he can get. And we just need someone, whether maybe it's Ahmed Hill, you know, maybe it's uh, – Maybe Lede resumes because in ACC play, uh, he was shooting great from three. Um, but it's his shot's a little funky, and it's not always consistent. But we just need to improve that three-point shooting so when Bibbs is off, you know, someone else can pick up the slack in terms of uh, getting some scoring from three. But if that happens, and with, you know, like you mentioned, Ahmed Hill and Ty Outlaw, that transfer coming back, we are adding another freshman and – uh, Kadeem Sai, another bigger guy, 6'9", 225. And we still have Satchel Pierce and Johnny Hamilton in the program. We're going to be deep. We're going to have some guys who have played a full season in ACC play and know what it's like and know the rigors of it. It's going to be great. It's going to be great to see a, a team have depth that we haven't seen in a while. I mean, I, I can't – if you remember the Seth Greenberg days at the tail end, we always had like six guys on injured reserve. We had the weird heart problem with – Cheney, uh, uh, I'm I'm blanking on the name, but there was they would always show the graphic during the Tokies games, and it was like five guys across, and they would just like a different body part was listed under each one of them with what they had in terms of injuries. So next year having the depth will be awesome for us, and it's really NCAA tournament or bust. I feel like that's where our fans are now. It's how quickly things change, but that's how it feels. Well, I think, and if you can just make the tournament, I think, I I remember I was talking to one of my buddies before the season started about how good the ACC was going to be, and it didn't, you know, a lot of people knew it, but it didn't kind of jump out to you in ACC play because everybody's up against each other, right? And there's just a lot of close games, but you could tell that the ACC was playing kind of at a different level, and then you get into the tournament, and the ACC just killed it because they're you know they're going up against so much competition on just in you know in their own um conference that when they get to the tournament they have such an advantage there that if next year we can make the tournament 
you know, I'm not saying that we're going to go super far, but you could see us winning maybe a couple games in, in the tournament, assuming that, you know, depending on what our seed uh, ends up. Right. We do play in, if not the toughest, one of the toughest college basketball conferences. And UVA, with their older guys, they'll probably take a step back. UNC is probably going to take a little bit of a step back. Other teams will be taking steps forward, but Pitt just lost their coach. He's uh, Jamie Dixon was someone who went to TCU and helped us out, yeah. not having them take buzz from us. But with six ACC teams making the Sweet 16 and four making the Elite Eight, it's like if you make it from the ACC, you should win a couple games. You could win a couple games. This is a tough conference, and you know it changes every year. But, hey, I just want to make the tournament. If we make the tournament and win a game or just get in, period – I'm going to be ecstatic because that would be a huge step for Buzz and the guys. And it seems like a reasonable goal at this point, which we couldn't say in the past. Just got to avoid Let's that take... ugly uh, early season loss, which absolutely killed that killed us. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, once next year, that cannot cannot happen. <laughs> yeah, that first loss to Alabama State, I think I lost my mind after that one. But fortunately, Buzz is a little bit more calm and a little bit better of a basketball coach than me. So... Uh, let's take a quick beer break and then we'll talk some spring football. Robbie, what are you drinking over there? Uh, so I, I'm going a little bit more standard this week. I had a tough time making it to, to the beer store. So, uh, right now I'm on a, uh, Goose Island, uh, IPA, just a regular IPA, um, Goose Island, um, I guess originally was it out of Chicago, I think. And, yeah. um, they have a few of different places that they're brewing now, um, place in New York and then, uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, but I think originally it's a, it's a Chicago based company. It's a good beer. It's kind of, um, you know, it's the, uh, it's the Budweiser of, uh, you know, uh, of kind of your craft beer, but, uh, I like it. Yeah. I, I love goose IPA. It's one of my favorite beers. Um, I am drinking an Evolution Craft Brewing Company beer called Sprung. It's judging from the name, you can tell it's kind of a spring one of their springtime beers this season. And I just saw it for the first time the other night. It's described more fancy than it tastes. It says it's an ale brewed with hibiscus, chamomile, and honey. But when you drink it, it really just tastes like a crisp light beer. And four point nine percent alcohol. I really like it. Like it's perfect for the spring. It's light. It uh, kind of has a little bit of like a grassy note to it, but uh, it's good. I'm really enjoying it. I like a lot of the beers Evolution puts out. And I know you do too. I think our first podcast we did one of the uh, the doubles from Evolution, but uh, yeah, the lot lot six. They have the lot three. Um, Evolution's a, a great a great brewery. Um, I, in fact, I actually, uh, was at a beer fest, um, way back in the day before they were even distributing and they showed up and this would have been maybe six years ago and I had one of their beers and it was delicious. So I've been kind of following them ever since. Okay. Well, let's talk some football. I'm, I'm starting to really get excited about spring football. And I think the springtime is one of my favorite times cause we can't lose, the only way we can lose is by taking on injuries, which we have a couple. But it's just a time of hope for the program, and you're just getting excited about guys developing and all that kind of stuff. So I've got a couple of notes on the team 
And the first one is that we had a couple roster like changes in terms of position. Chris Durkin, one of our QB recruits, has officially moved to tight end, uh, which just will only increase the amount of jokes we've made about that over the years with <laughs> Logan Thomas being a former tight end and Bucky, Bucky Hodges, a former tight end or former QB, rather. Um, I'm hoping that joke one day runs its course and it finally just dies on the vine. So. Yeah, it's like we, we just switch them from uh, QB to tight end or vice versa. But, yeah, Durkin's a tight end now, which we need some depth there after the, the loss of Malik, so that'll be good. Anthony Chagag is officially our whip linebacker. He was a safety before but pretty much finished the season playing whip and played well. So I'm glad to see that. And Stroman is listed at DB on the roster, and he will get um, – field corner reps or has been getting field corner reps at spring practice. So interesting to see him not at wide receiver considering we need someone to emerge from there. But uh, I don't know. Stroman's a good athlete and he's, he can offer something to the team and I'm sure the coaches will figure it out at some point before next season starts. I'm a little worried because (laughs) he last year did not go great for him. So I'm hoping he makes uh, some some good strides in the off season and starts to, you know, really improve on, on what happened last year. The last switch, uh, was Terrell Edmonds going to Rover and Adonis Alexander moving to boundary corner. And this is something Torian used to do all the time in the springtime. He would switch his guys from one position to the other to make sure they had experience. So when injuries came in the fall, he could switch them up and they would know how to play those various positions. I'm not sure if that's what this is or not, but I'm not going to worry about it either way. Edmonds and Adonis will be playing and playing a lot next year at some position in the secondary. Uh, But right now, Edmonds is at Rover, and Adonis, who has just the biggest upside in the world, will be at boundary corner, which is always the feature position in this defense, basically. Yeah, and I only had one other, and it wasn't a position switch, but... Uh, Calvin Klein left the program. So um, he is going to Texas A&M. A good move for him. Texas uh, or A&M is really shallow at that position. So I think he has a chance to get in there and start. But I was very surprised about him leaving, right, at this time. Because you have Malik who goes away. Bucky Hodges we're trying to use more as... I think he's going to play more wide receiver positions. So there was a perfect opening for him. So I'm wondering if there's more to that story than uh, is making it in the news cycles because that seemed like he had a lot of potential and could have gotten some some starting time, and now he's gone. Yeah, it seems a little bizarre to me. A guy who was injured a little bit throughout his career didn't get on the field for us last year when we had such high hopes after his true freshman year. But best of luck to him down at A&M. There's two other uh, notes from just the spring roster update, which whenever the roster gets updated, I, I kind of uh, – well, I think we all like it a little bit. We see the new height, like the new weights and who's playing what position. So Tim Settle, one of our favorite guys to, to look at and see on Snapchat and whatever else, uh, he's down at 344 as opposed to 359, which he was listed at last year. It's still huge, but if he could ever get under 340 um, – he could be a menace because he's already extremely light on his feet. He was light on his feet last year when he was nearly 360. So it was good to see him down at least in the mid in the mid 340s. 
Um, and then Josh Nijman was up to 298, and he played last year a little light and played a lot for us. So it's good to see him at nearly 300 pounds, and he's a big athletic dude. So he could very well be one of our starters at tackle. Good to see him right around 300. Uh, do you have anything else in terms of like those kind of updates? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think um, I think you hit it. You know, Tim Settle. I forget what they targeted. They, I think they were trying to target him at like three twenty-five, ideally three thirty. Like when it's all said and done, um, I don't see it happening. There's no way. <laughs> I mean, the guy is just—he's you know, big. I'm surprised he's lost you know fifteen pounds already, um, down from when he first came in. So when they said that, I was like, "There's no way this kid's getting down to to that light." And I don't think he really needs to. Uh, but Nijman, I think that's good weight for him. You know, uh, I think getting him up around the threes is. A good number for him because he's really really athletic and i think he could do do well on that frame yeah his his frame can definitely carry that weight easily in terms of injuries uh we have a handful of guys out for spring including marshawn williams uh sean Huselkamp, seth dooley had some shoulder surgery raymond minor and braxton faff on the o-line is out those guys are all out for spring Brandon Faison is currently out but bud seemed to indicate he might come back later in spring so Hopefully that's the case because we could use Faison's uh, leadership in the back end. He would probably step right in. Depending on how Adonis does, he could step in at either boundary or field. Uh, kind of depends on what you know Buzz and Brian Mitchell want to do. But those are the injuries. Uh, and some good news on the injury front is Shai McKensley is looking fully healthy for the first time in a couple of years after his second ACL tear against, uh, I think it was in the Western Michigan game, 18 months ago and he's down at 215 and last year he was nearly 230 pounds which was probably a reflection of him not being able to run and and stuff and Andy Bitter just commented in a recent blog post that McKenzie was looking really good and was looking quick and shifty in practice so if we have him and Trayvon you know how I felt about McKenzie going into last year hoping that he was healthy because he looked so good in those first few games the year before uh, him and Trayvon could be a very dynamic duo for us. That would be big upside getting him back in healthy. Um, I think that would be that that would be a nice duo with Shy, a little bit more of a, a kind of a power back. Um, I think that would be a, a good addition to the to the offense. So, you know, props to him for everything he's gone through to you know keep chugging away at it and um, getting healthy. And I hope he I hope he gets some some reps this year. Yeah, I think an interesting thing about those two guys is while they play at a little different size, they both are such fluid runners. They both kind of glide through the hole, and they don't stutter step a whole lot. And at least when McKenzie was healthy, he was just, you know, all of a sudden he was running downfield, and it was so easy. And that's what I always said about Trayvon. He just kind of shifts his body and moves through holes so fluidly. Um, both those guys have a similar running style, which – may make it a really easy transition when they're coming in and out of the games, especially with this new higher tempo offense that Fuente wants to run. It could really be perfect. So I guess my last point is with Fuente making him run so much, Woody Barron made a comment, you know, he's never run this much in any spring camp and he's a senior. Uh, that should probably help Timmy Settle lose some of those pounds. That's right. He's got them you know, up at what they're doing, 5 a.m. practices, and has them running a lot. If you watch the Snapchat feeds, 
those guys are sprinting all over the place. That's you know made up a lot of the uh, the practice time that they saw early on, and you need it. I mean, if you're going to run, if you're going to go tempo, and I know he said he's not going to want to run that all the time and score points just for the sake of it, but you have to be um, conditioned in order to run that type of offense and not have people you know people getting tired. Uh, I think the the other interesting thing. It, you know, I'm looking at, I think everybody is, is, you know, what the heck we're going to do with the wide receiver position. Uh, we have Patterson and Diablo coming in. I hope, you, you know, Cam uh, takes a step up. Um, and then Isaiah Ford, you know, that's still only four guys, and that is light. I, I think, um, you know, I think I brought this up once before, but in one of the interviews, Fuente was joking around that, you know, we only had, you know, I think eight people touch touch the ball from wide receiver position all season, and uh, they would do that in like the first five minutes of their games, just have eight people out there. So we have a lot of uh, filling in to do at the wide receiver spot, and the new guys are going to have to step up quick. That's for sure. That's definitely one of the most interesting battles we'll be watching this spring. I think another position battle that's going to be really interesting is defensive tackle, uh, and this in. The opposite of the wide receiver group, which we're looking for someone, anyone, to step up as that third wide receiver. And I think there's a good chance it could be one of the freshmen, and whether it's Diablo, Denmark, Kuma, or Patterson, because they're all there for spring. At defensive tackle, we've got a lot of guys who have experience. And Nigel Williams and Woody Barron and Zobchak and Ricky Walker played a bunch two years ago. And you have Tim Settle. And, you know, it's going to be interesting because Nigel was getting a ton of reps I want to say two years ago when Luther was out with some tendonitis, but last year we didn't see him as much. Uh, will he, you know, come back with a new fire, like wanting to be that starter next to Woody Barron? Cause I would assume Barron will take one of those positions. Uh, Ricky Walker taking a rare sophomore red shirt. Will he come back ready to fight for a position? So it's, it's really interesting, but it's awesome because we have so many guys who can play and play well at defensive tackle. I don't think we take a step back, even though we lost Luther and Corey Marshall, and they were very good players. I think that position, they won't skip a beat. And so I'm excited about uh, defensive tackle and who's going to end up starting there. And I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the QB race, right? Yeah, I think there's going to be a QB battle. Um, and to finish off your point, I think as as confident as we are in defensive tackle, I'm equally uh, excited about that as I am concerned about the defensive end position. Uh, that's that's looking a little thin, and who's going to line up opposite? Um, like, true, like, true. You know, Kenna Canham, uh, now that Daddy is gone, you got Mahota and Dooley, and I, I don't know what's going to happen there, but I think Bud has alluded to, you know, some some guys are going to have to grow up real fast to, to fill that slot. I'm hoping that one of those guys, whether it's Fullwood or Hushan Gaines or Trevon Hill, those all those redshirt freshmen we have, super talented guys. Hopefully one of those guys can step up. And whether or not they beat out Dooley, because Dooley's out for spring, but he's played a lot for us and he's played well. I expect him to come back in fall camp and assume the starting role across from McKenna Canham. But if some of those redshirt freshmen and as well as Mahota, you know, step up their game this spring, you know, it could really increase our depth because those guys have been in the program for a year. They should you know, they're young, but they should be starting to get ready to contribute. Um so I'm like you said, that's that's another good one to note, it's that defensive end battle. All right, so if we're handicapping this QB race, we've got essentially three guys. Uh you could 
include Joshua Jackson, our, our recruit who uh, came in. He's an early enrollee, or Jack Click, who I believe is a walk-on. Uh, but it's a really three-man race between Evans, Motley, and Lawson. At least that's what most people assume. And Evans is our JUCO four-star that we brought in, that Fuente brought in. You know, it always helps to be recruited by the guy who's going to be coaching the team. Motley, you know, local kid who played admirably in Brewer's absence. And then Lawson, the blue chipper from Florida that is huge and already 21 or will be 21 years old, I think, next year when the season starts as a sophomore. And we burned his red shirt last year, and most of us still don't know why. Those three guys all have a legitimate shot to be the starter, and it's impossible to know, especially with how little's coming out of camp, who it's going to be. And in a perfect world, I think we'd all want the starter to be someone who's going to be here for the longest time, which would be Lawson. But I just want the best guy to play, and it could be any of these guys. I mean, do you have any thoughts on this? I feel like just we haven't heard um, enough about Lawson, so I feel like things. I don't. I don't have any factual data to support this, but I've heard concern about his mechanics. How he's still trying to, you know, clean things up there, and I haven't heard that concern that much with Motley, who's kind of a known, you know, a known entity from last year, and Evans. It seems like those two are more fundamentally fundamentally strong, um, and have that down. So I feel like it's going to be one of those two. Who knows? I could be way off, but if I was handicapping it, I would I would love for it to be Lawson. I think he has a ton of upside, but I feel like it's going to be either Gerard Evans or, or Brendan Motley. But that's just my kind of inkling on things. No, I think, and that's the funny thing is, like I said, I think we'd want it to be Lawson because he still has three years left at Tech, but I kind of am thinking it will be Evans. Lawson may redshirt and Motley will back him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems like the most likely scenario, but I have no idea because I'm not watching these guys practice. I don't know how Evans taking to the program Motley being here for so long. Maybe he just makes a giant leap and he has, he has all the tools. He's, he's quick. He has a good arm, a really good arm. And all three of them have good size, like if not exceedingly good size. So I'm watching these mic'd up videos and Snapchat videos, and all all the quarterbacks look huge standing next to each other. They all just look massive, and it's it's a great problem to have. It's cho- choosing between three really big guys who can you know take a little bit of a beating, and uh, you know keep slinging it out there every play, especially with the amount of plays we're going to be running. So yeah, I trust Fuente's decision making process, and whoever emerges. And this is another reason I really want to go to the spring game because I'd like to see these guys in action. I think we'll have a pretty good QB next year. I really do. I think so. I, you know, it's a tremendous, you know, problem to have having three guys battle it out um, with a coach like Fuente, who's known to be a QB guru. Uh, you know what he did with Andy Dalton and Paxton Lynch. Uh, I think speaks for itself. And you know, all of them are big, um, and they can take take the hits and keep on coming. So I think it's going to be really exciting. You know, Fuente has said that as the spring practices kind of move on, um, some guys are going to be getting less reps and some are going to be getting more. So I'm hopeful that we'll be able to get a sense of who's kind of taking the lead or if at least one of the three is starting to fall behind 
just by the amount that they're out there taking snaps uh, might be a good indicator for us of, of who is kind of leading the charge um, to take over that starting role. Okay, so we'll just do a couple more quick things. I wanted to ask you who you thought might turn the corner this spring or make the leap or, you know, the quote-unquote light comes on because there's a lot of good candidates and uh, I've got an opinion on a guy that I would like to emerge. Uh, do you have anyone particular in mind? Um, I don't know if it's who I, who I would like to see emerge because it would just be so exciting. So I'll go like to and who I think is going to. So I, who I would okay. like to see emerge would be Tim Settle. Um, that would be just really, really fun to see him out on the field. Um, you know, he can pancake some some guys uh, and and keep on hauling. So that would be really exciting. Who I think it's going to be, given the offensive scheme that's getting put in place, and because Isaiah Ford is coming is you know a lot of people are putting him as the number one wide receiver in the ACC coming back next year. I think it's going to be Cam Phillips. Uh, I think as people are putting you know, their best cover corners uh, on Isaiah Ford, knowing what he did to people last year, it's going to free up Cam Phillips. I think he has, was a little bit slower to, you know, a little slower than Isaiah Ford to get up to speed. I don't know if he practiced as hard as Isaiah Ford, who was out there with Brewer all throughout the summer uh, last year. So I feel like he has a real opportunity um, to put up in comparison to last year, um, significantly better stats than even what he had. That's a that's an interesting pick. I, I I I think Cam was had a couple clips on one of those videos that. And shout out to the VT Relations, uh, for the football program, whatever who's ever putting out the mic'd up videos and the Snapchats and everything. It's like it really gives us a good access to the team. That. Without it, like I don't know how we'd see any of the practice type stuff. So it's been really cool to see that stuff. And Cam had a couple reps on those videos that he just looked awesome. And not that he hasn't always looked awesome, but I think it could be some credence because it normally takes wide receivers a couple years to develop. And like Ford and Cam, they developed so early, we kind of took it for granted last year. But now they're in; they're just getting into their junior years. Like they could both take off, and and, and Cam being, like you said, maybe like just a little bit high, be, bit behind developmentally. Maybe he will explode this year because there will be so much attention on Ford. I'd like to see Tremaine Edmonds at backer really blow up this spring. I mean, he already showed us his physical skills last year, and. I think he's definitely the future at backer. Now, Bud, Bud definitely says he's green and that he needs more time and more reps and everything, but that's what spring's for. And I would expect that going into next year, the combo of what we assume is Motua Puaka starting at at Mike and then Tremaine Edmonds starting at backer could be the first you know time our linebacking core has looked good in a, in a while, like at least – it, it it goes off and on. Like last year, it was the Jekyll and Hyde linebacking core. But to be consistent game in and game out, those two guys are so big and so athletic and so fast. It it could take us back to the Hall and Adibi days. So I'm hoping Tremaine Edmonds, that's my guy. I'm I'm putting my you know stamp on that I want to see emerge this spring and into the fall. And I had written down here from before Dion Newsom. But <laughs> I don't know. 
how his latest legal troubles will uh, influence the coaching staff on how many reps he gets. Uh, but I loved Deion Newsom going into last year, and he just disappeared. He didn't get a carry or a catch for, I think, the first six games or something. Um, so I don't know why he disappeared. And I think you had said to me that the coaches were really liking him uh, mm-hmm. in the winter workouts. Yep. But I don't know what's going to happen now. Well, I think he... He may be in big trouble on on the rep side of things. If if Fuente is anything like he, it seems he is, um, and he very much cut of the same cloth that Frank Beamer was, where you know keeping your nose clean off the field is uh, a priority, and when you don't, it impacts you know what you, what you're going to see on the field. Um, they go, they go together in those types of systems. It's not independent from each other. We're not, we're not running a, uh, a loosey goosey sec program. Um, when Beamer <laughs> was here and I don't think we're going to be with Fuente either. If what he's been saying during all these interviews, uh, holds true, um, in the way he implements things on the field. Yeah, and this isn't Dion's first strike either. He was ineligible from the bowl game last year. I think at the beginning of the season, last season, he had something going on too. So I'm hoping he could get it together because I still have those visions of him running behind a Trey Edmonds block against Ohio State in the horseshoe and just like blazing down the sideline. And I, I just thought he had so much potential. And there, are, there's plenty of young guys coming up behind him too. You know, you got some big freshmen in, D, in Diablo and uh, – and Kuma, who are both six foot two or taller, and already both two hundred pounds or heavier, um, and so it's it's a limited time for guys like C.J. Carroll and uh, Dion Newsom, etc., uh, to make an impact. Or or these freshmen are going to come up and take that third wide receiver job. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I want to give a prediction on next year for because I think last episode you did yours, so I was going to give mine, but let's pause and take a beer break first. Perfect. So Pete, what are what do you uh, have now over there for for beer? Uh, anything anything good? Well, I unexpectedly have a beer from the same brewing company that you did. I have a Goose Island over here, but it's their Green Line Pale Ale, and it's in the style of a of the Chicago uh, subway system. And it's a really good beer. It's a it's kind of a light five point four percent alcohol pale ale, and it's got kind of a citrusy type flavor to it, and I hadn't seen this one before, but it's their Green Line Pale Ale, and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it says it has a toasted malt body, which you know, I can't, I'm not sure if I'm sensing as much of that, but it's very, very good, and I, I'm actually pleasantly surprised by it. But I shouldn't be because Goose makes great beer. Nice. That sounds delicious. I'm going to have to try that one out. I hadn't had it before, uh, so I'm going to have to you know, be on the lookout for that one. Uh, I kind of went with another, uh, regular, uh, IPA, the stone IPA, um, just their normal one. I think they have three IPAs. There's the go, go to the deliciousness and this, their kind of base stone IPA, uh, stone for those that don't know, I'm sure everybody does is out of San Diego, um, California and, you know, they've been doing great things for a long time. They have great double IPAs. Their base IPAs are good, and um, it's got only increasingly more well-known uh, and available in stores all over the place over the years. So uh, you can always get your hands on it, which is nice. Yeah, Stone is awesome, and you're right. Like Being from San Diego, 
they're anything but a, a, a small craft brewery. They're everywhere in every store, and their beer is awesome. I want to talk about my prediction now, and I believe you put us at 7-5 and five when we had our signing day podcast. And I'll come right out and tell you that my predicted record is 8-4. and four. Now, the losses I have written down, I guess I'll say they're quote-unquote sure losses, are Tennessee and Notre Dame. But the other two losses that I would have on this on this record prediction, they could come anywhere from Pittsburgh or at North Carolina or in the Carrier Dome. And, you know, there's a number of places we could slip up. I feel confident against Georgia Tech. You know, I feel confident that without Ruffin McNeil and with Fuente behind the wheel, mm-hmm. not to rhyme, that we will beat East Carolina this year. And so I'm not going to worry too much about that one. They're going through a little bit of a transition. Miami at home on Thursday night, although that did not go well for us the last time that happened two years ago, I like our chances in that game. Although bringing in Mark Richt will make them formidable, I'm sure. But I I am a little bit more optimistic than you or even Mike McDaniel when when we talked to him a couple weeks ago. You know, he he said six and six is definitely a possibility. He's he thought that your prediction of seven and five was probably right on point. Um, I'm a little bit more optimistic. I think with our offensive skill talent coming back. With the way the defensive line, I don't expect to take a big step back, although we lost a handful of seniors. And with the secondary being as young as they were last year, the inconsistent linebacker play, and just the overall improvement of the team under a young, energetic coach, I think we can get to 8-4 eight, eight and four and go to a nice bowl game and hopefully win nine games. So we'll see what happens. That seems uh, I don't know if reasonable. you had any thoughts on my loss, losses that I, I picked out there. I know you always focus on one team a lot of times. <laughs> There's an early matchup uh, at home, which is a little unusual, against Boston College. And you and Mike both expressed your concern over that game. Yeah. I, well, the good news is it's – yeah, I think your prediction is, is, is very doable. Um, I think – yeah, we have a excellent list, litmus test right at the beginning of the season with that Tennessee game in neutral location. I, I, most people are predicting Tennessee to be a top 10 team. Most people are predicting them uh, to win the SEC East. Um, you know, they're in that kind of lighter conference in the SEC. Uh, so I think what we see in that Tennessee game is going to be very indicative of what we're going to get over the course of the season. Not that the team won't continue improving as a, as the season goes on, but I think that will be a nice indicator. But that BC game at home just smells just, you know, like a, a problem for us given how down they were in both sports, you know, in, in football and basketball, they didn't win a single ACC game. Uh, so they are, have a huge chip on their shoulder going into next year. I agree with you on East Carolina. The UNC game is going to be really tough, I think, for us. So um, I agree. that, And that Miami game at home. The last time I saw the Miami game at home, I went with my wife. And then I only went to one game that year, and I, I should have gone to zero uh, after the way that played out. So yeah. I think that'll be cool. And then, you know, the season – or the, you know, the schedule as a whole I think is actually pretty – pretty great i mean you have that tennessee game and the notre dame game which are going to be fantastic so 
you know, no matter what, I'm juiced up about next season just from the opponents that we get to play. And I think, you know, and like you said, the Carrier Dome, who knows what we're going to end up seeing um, out of that game. I think a lot of people are a little bit more skeptical about us getting a win there, but also think that it'll be interesting to see two brand-new head coaches going kind of, um, you know, facing off. Yeah, that Syracuse game could maybe turn into a little bit of a shootout with Dino Babers, formerly of uh, Baylor fame. And then did he was he at Toledo? Is that where it was? Uh, I believe that's right. Yeah. Uh, so that that game in the Carry Dome, you know, it scares me. But we just should be better from every from a talent standpoint at virtually every position. So I would expect us to still steal a victory there. The pit game is going to be a problem. It always is, and Narduzzi seems to have that thing going in the right direction. They will have a traditional dropback QB with, uh, I think, Wojtek transferred, uh, even though he only played a little bit last year and Peterson played most of the season. I still would like a traditional QB against Pitt because I just think our defense always plays better against that type of thing. But, yeah, they're going to catch some losses. But I still think that we should get through the season with only four of those losses. I, I have faith that Fuente's fire will, will raise the team's profile as a whole. And we'll just we'll just play significantly better. He said something in those in his mic'd up video. It's like play for each other, play with emotion, and that's something that we both talked about last year. It was, it was always hard to see our guys playing with emotion, and at times they played well, like in the NC State game. They played fired up. They played great. And Mason Nauman from the key play had a great line. He's like, sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. And that's what it seemed like the guys were doing. They were just like, you know, high-fiving after plays, like, you know, making it seem like, all right, I'm fired up. Let's make this next play. And you just got to make it happen until it clicks. And I'm hoping this new coaching staff makes that click more than anything else. Yeah, it was uh, Bowling Green he came out of, not not Toledo, sorry. Um, So, uh, yeah, and that mic'd up clip, which those are so much fun to watch. Uh, I've enjoyed all of those um, that they've put out so far. I think there's been two of them. So, and I thought that was very, very telling when he said the defense, you know, he's talking to the guys afterwards. He said the defense, when they were doing things, you know, did things well, were getting real jacked up when very emotional and the offense, not so much when they were having, you know, positive um, results on the field, they weren't getting, you know, high five and they weren't getting really emotional about it. And he said he wanted his players and his team to play with emotion. So the offense to be more like the defense is. So I, you know, I think that gives us a lot of upside. I, you know, I hope that you're right. Um, it would be great to get eight wins uh, and then set ourselves up really well for the following season. Um, but um, right now, I haven't seen anything that's going to keep me from moving off my 7-5. and five. Gotcha. Well, I think we nailed just about everything we wanted to get to. I, I don't know if you have anything else that you wanted to mention before we sign off. Nope. I think, uh, you know, excited. You can kind of, you know, football is, is, is coming back. We're going to have, uh, you know, continue to do recordings. You know, I think we're going to shoot for once every kind of three weeks to a month or something along those lines. Uh, so we're going to keep keep at it, staying up to date on the team and keeping people apprised of what's going on as we all look forward to the uh, 2016 season. Yeah, we're just going to try to do these things as as we have enough news to do them. And like 
we had mentioned at the beginning, we tried to get this out a couple weeks ago, ran into some issues, but you shouldn't be waiting a month for a podcast from us. We're going to try to do a little bit better than that. Spring game's coming up uh, April 23rd. If you can make it, please go because it's not going to be on TV. So we could always use any insight we can get from anyone who shows up. Make sure to send us any comments or emails. We're at 2DVT at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. And check out our new website. It's 2DVT.com. And until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.